Welcome to Break a Wish, the podcast where all your dreams come true, but with terrible, ironic costs. I'm your host, Maddox Campbell. Joining me this time, we have Scott Thrower. Hello. And Kyle Scott. Good evening. And the movie we're talking about is Angels in the Outfield, the 1994 film about baseball and angels. Uh, let's get started. Just what is your guys' experience with this film? And I guess baseball and I guess angels. Well, calling it a film seems generous. Oh, that's that's pretty aggressive opener, but okay. You, you go first, Scott. Tell us. This movie had you made seen, me angry. Had you seen it before? Do you have any memory of it before this? Or is this I think coming I at you kind of to. totally cold? I think I had to have seen it before because I've been a fan of Joseph Gordon-Levitt since way back in his Powers That Be era, which was uh, well below, well before he did uh, that Alien show. So I I You're have to have seen it, but I've repressed that it. Alien show. Third rock from the sun, but right. Okay, yeah. I, honestly, I didn't get that. That's what you meant because I was like, <laughs> "What? What other alien show did he do?" Yeah, uh, I was a big fan of him at the time, but no, I don't remember ever watching this, which is probably repression because it probably even made young Scott as angry as it does old Scott. <laughs> there's there's lots to be angry at. That is yeah. all fair. Yeah, um, so I I don't feel bad that I pirated this and that I watched <laughs> it this morning. Okay. What about you, Kyle? I know, for one thing, you are a huge baseball fan, so I, I needed to get you on this episode because you'd be able to tell me what all those baseball terms I did not know nor care about uh, actually meant in the context of the film. I don't even think this movie used any baseball terms. <laughs> completely uninterested in baseball. Uh, yeah, They did I, use the term starting pitcher, which, which I had to look up because they said starting pitcher and then suddenly they were at the end of the game. And I was like, wait, doesn't starting mean at the start? Well, yeah, that, that's all changed. The way they used it. There was insane. Uh, 156 pitches. Nobody throws 156 <laughs> pitches. That guy's arm would explode. He's not Nolan Ryan. Anyways, I saw this movie when I was very, very young, and I haven't seen it probably since it came out on video the first time. Uh, which would have been 1994, and I think this came out uh, on video at least when the 94 World Series would have been happening had it not been canceled. And so I think I'm just happy for anything baseball-related, and most of it evacuated my mind. So it felt like it was... I had vague memories, but I couldn't remember at all what the story was, and just about everything... It, in this movie shocked and appalled me watching it back. I appreciate your use of the word evacuated because it really does make me picture that this was just shat out in <laughs> such, a, such a terrible callous way. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I also assume that I saw this as a kid. It definitely felt like I had seen, at least I'd seen a bunch of clips or maybe had been on at birthday parties, but I think I saw it as a kid, but baseball has never been something I particularly cared about. And oh, I, yeah. I have to put out that I am a gay man and therefore know nothing about baseball. I don't think those are uh, intrinsically tied, but perhaps correlated. But yeah, I, I, I am a straight man, still don't care about baseball. Um, I And I guess like the religious stuff wouldn't have offended me as much as a kid because I wasn't like as atheist as I am now. <laughs> but now it does. And <laughs> yeah, I just kind of, yeah, I forgot it. It is a movie that flew out of my mind as a child. And now watching it now, everything about it was wrong or anger inducing. Yeah. For, from a religious perspective, this really brings up a lot of problem of evil issues. Uh, yeah, why don't why don't we do a recap before we get into this? Because I really want to sure. get into the religious issues. Yeah, so we can do that first. This doesn't have a plot. But first, let's give me what what plot there is. Is we open on Roger, who is a young boy whose mother has died, and that's the first line of the film. She uh, escaped being in the movie. Good for her. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and, on exposition of, ch- of parental death. Just yes. kids talking about how their parents are dead. Yeah, First as thing you're that happened. to this recap, think about how horrific this movie is for children. Uh, so, mother is dead. Father is absentee, so he's living in a foster home. But he sees his dad as he comes home. A young and he asks daughter. his father, when will we be a family again? And in a when pigs could fly type thing, he says, when the angels win the pennant. Because yeah, so they're a sh- shitty team. We're just minutes in and Disney has already pointed out to children that your parents are likely to die or abandon you. Yes. Yes, because... Young Tate Donovan is just a uh, leather-clad loser who has decided that he doesn't want the burden of a child. And to make that especially clear, he's leaving California to go north to find a job. And he has traded in his truck for a motorcycle just to make it more inconvenient to take his kid along. (laughs) Don't worry. In a few years, he'll be in a movie where he falls in love with uh, a very beautiful Julia Roberts and everything will be fine for him. After he uh, forces his uh, child bride to drop out of school to marry him. <laughs> that movie, too. Okay. My best friend's wedding. He is established as a very bad father, but the kid still wants his dad back and gives him that scenario. So the young kid, being an idiot, uh, prays to God that he could have a family again. And since his dad said that it would only be if the angels won the pennant, he wants God to help with that or whatever. Just for the context, are you calling him an idiot because he still wants to be with his dad or because he bothered with prayer? Uh, both and uh, other things. There's, wow. there's... <laughs> in a movie that, in a movie world where angels do intercede in behalf of human affairs, he's not an idiot to pray. That seems like a reasonable thing to do. Okay, to be, it's, it's established in the film that there is no prior evidence of angels at any point, and everyone is still in disbelief of it. So it is still a, forgive the terminology here a hail mary to expect oh, this to work oh you wrote that even down, i got you? that one jesus <laughs> i didn't write it down but i had to use it um so anyway he now believes uh, he's prayed to god he goes to a game with his school group or whatever uh and at that game angels show up they assist some of the players he happens to win a ticket that lets him get a picture with the coach so he tells the coach the reason they won this game is because he saw angels so the coach gets him as a good luck charm to come to all the games and tell him when the angels are helping one of his players over one of his other players so he knows which ones to put in. Oh, this recap is really going to, into the intricacies. <laughs> I'm, well, it's about to montage. Montage <laughs> smash cut to they are now at the winning game of the pennant. Uh, and I guess the angels decide they can't help on the last game, even though they helped on all the other games. This is also... Uh, something that bothers me intensely as a baseball fan. So, the pennant. The, what the pennant means is that Major League Baseball is separated into two separate leagues, especially at that time they're completely separate, didn't play each other at all during the season. We're still in the they're, recap, Kyle. Okay. Yeah, let me finish this. I'm really close. There's problems with this. There's problems with the storytelling, too, because nothing the characters did has any bearing on this thing. It's just angels randomly helping out a team. Yeah, especially, again, I was able to montage a good two-thirds of the film right there. Just montage, this happens, and no no plot develops during that point. Other than I think the characters are supposed to grow, but not a lot. The final moment is it's revealed that even though uh, the angels aren't helping, uh, one of them is there to see off that one of the players is going to die of cancer and become an angel soon. Uh, So I guess... I'm not opposed to the gruesome death of Tony Danza, but geez... But for kids, it seems to come out of nowhere. And then so he has to pitch now, even though he's been pitching 
an absurd number of pitches and it should be taken out as Kyle said, uh, but they all do the whole floppy thing to tell him that there's an angel helping him. So then he has the will to throw the pitch and catch the hit and win them the game. Yay. Uh, and the kid the- is still happy, even though one of his heroes is dying horribly of lung cancer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then to wrap things up, because the movie has to end on the other good point, uh, the coach decides to adopt the kids. I guess we assume he's, he'll be a good dad. He's not hinted to be a good, no, good person, he has, really. He has anger issues, and he has charges against him for uh, punching a guy randomly, which means he is not going to get those kids. Probably not. So, um, and then that's where the film that's where the film ends. That's that's what we call the plot. So yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's move into some of our criticisms. Let's start. You know what? Fine, Kyle. What what the fuck is a pennant? All right. So, Major League oh, Baseball. God. For those who don't know, uh, which I think is YouTube. Uh, yeah. Separated into the American League and the National League. Hence, when Christopher Lloyd, the boss angel, uh, snatches the hat off the umpire. It says, he says, my name is Al. It's American League because it used to be that they even had separate umpires. Uh, the well, the American League separate is actually fairly wise in this current era of coronavirus. No, it's the American and the National League. They're basically in all the same cities. And, oh, God. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, they were originally two completely separate entities, but they joined together in 1901. Anyways, uh, the pennant means that you have won your league and thus get to the go to the World Series, which is the baseball championship. Because they are playing the Chicago White Sox, which is a team that is in their league. They're not in the championship, so they're about to win the pennant. So this implies that they are in the American League Championship Series. So at no point did they mention that the season is over and they're already in the playoffs. It's 1994. This would be the second round of the playoffs because that's the first year that they had the wild card in three divisions. And there's no sort of sense that where you are in time what has been happening in the season? Is this the end of the season and they're about to win the division to get into the playoffs? Uh, are they in game seven of the American League Championship Series and they're going to go on to the World Series? You don't, you're expected to care about baseball. This is a baseball movie with baseball branding everywhere. And the movie doesn't give a damn about baseball or assumes that children know nothing about it and nobody watching it would care at all. Whereas if you are, a character the age, if you are a child, the age of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, you would be following along every day in the newspapers. You get very heavily into stats and standings, and little kids know a tremendous amount about baseball if they're into baseball. So that's just one of the many, many things that bugged me about how this movie portrays the season, the race, and just the sport in general, which is supposed to be the key obsession of this character. So how desperate do you have to be for a team name to go like, hey, what color are their socks? They did it twice. There's two yeah. sock-based teams. <laughs> yeah, that that does not bode well for their marketing department. I, I'm going to say sports teams have a notorious history of terrible names, either for terrible racist names or just that's the most boring thing to put on your team name. So I'm so in the 1880s when these teams started. <laughs> oh, God damn it. They oh. didn't have mascots. God, we only have 40 minutes. Anything. Yeah. So just the color of your stockings was something that would actually tell you apart because they didn't have home and away uniforms. They'd just be wearing white and they probably wouldn't have a logo on them at all. Ooh, their stockings. Ugh, still, yeah. it could have t- tried a little at something. Okay, let's 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 go into the religiosity of this film then, because it is complicated with the morality of it. Because there's not really any hint that this team 
deserves extra help. They they're don't seem the angels. They're called the angels, but like they're not presented as particularly good people. In fact, they're shown to be, you know, the coach is violent, harasses his team. Many of the players on the team are, you know, either especially idiot or like just mean to each other or I think we have disorganized, untalented. This wish had nothing to do with the team itself. They were just a vehicle to get this kid a family. Right. But again, then again, like be direct with your wishes that if what you want is a family, <laughs> wish for a family. What is all this runaround wishing of like, I'll wish for this thing so I get the thing I want? No, just if you're going to expect magic or God to intervene, just ask for what you want well, instead of something on the step to the thing you want. His father set up the condition. So he needed the condition to happen. <sighs> Because he is a is stupid child, and this is a movie written for stupid children. It is real contrived, but also so like any. This has always been a thing that's been frustrating too. It's like the the height of arrogance. If you do believe in an all powerful God, you've got to assume he's got better things to do than pick which team wins a thing or like gives it to the team that prays the hardest. Like that just seems weird, right? You would think that, but the amount of players who in post game interviews thank God. Or the amount of, especially baseball players, who get the sign of the cross and point up as they pass home plate after having hit a home run, thanking God for it. I think at least the players are expecting God to intervene on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. But I think this is also a very Kyle-like God who creates rules about things. Because this God had a rule that, oh, championship games are off limits. So this God had thought about baseball deep enough to set out rules for when angels can interact and when they cannot interact. And if you went into a fugue state when Kyle was explaining that, it wasn't even a real championship. It was like at, at most a second place championship. <laughs> it was a qualification. So, yeah, it, it was like, wasn't even a real big game. It was just a mid-tier oh, it's game. Big. It's just not the biggest. There, is, there are the big, bigger yeah. games to come. So it's no. weird to have the rules set at that tier. I don't know. Yeah, they won the semifinals. The only way this makes sense to me is that the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character is destined for huge, huge things, and they needed all of these dominoes to fall in a line. Because the only, I can't see the Angels interacting and changing all of baseball just for one or two kids. I, I there could there was also like a lot of kids that needed help in this film. Like yeah, they focused in on Roger because he happened to make that one prayer, I guess. But I mean, like. And he was white. Yeah, uh, but like you know, like when they show that the kid, the poor kids who all get together to play baseball with the coach, like it really seemed like all those kids needed help, right? Like they were all struggling in poverty. Yeah, There's but at least one had, other kid with anger issues, parents, got which made everything fine. Uh, I mean, seems like they still had a lot of struggles. Ah, uh, boy. One thing I did like, actually, the only thing I liked about this movie <laughs> was that the team. The opponents that are heavily featured at the beginning of the film are the Toronto Blue Jays. In baseball movies, Canadian teams are almost never seen or mentioned. Uh, you never see them in a major league. I think there's one little quick montage hint of one player from the Jays in the little big league. You never see either the Expos when they were around or the Blue Jays ever because they don't the American audiences don't want to see the Blue Jays. And this is coming off two consecutive World Series championships. So I, I liked that you saw a lot of Toronto to begin with. I did like I, that. I suspect that's a budgetary thing because the only baseball game they actually sank some of the budget into is that final game. That final well, game and the, suddenly the first elevated the film 
aspects of it. It was it was more visually interesting. The the audience they went all out in, even though I love watching audiences because you can always see some of the extras who just don't care. And we had <laughs> we had a good number of those existing in this movie. Where like when the entire audience rose up to flap their wings, there was this one black lady who just stood up and instead of flapping her wings, she was just trying to put things in her pockets and just study she, her intention. All of her attention was on stuff she was putting in her pockets at that time. Well, I think she was playing shot. a fan of the other team and it's really <laughs> her moment before is that, oh, this game is over. I need to get out quickly because this is not going to end well for me. She was acting. Yeah. Didn't seem like all of them were flapping. It felt like some of them were just standing up at that moment. And then like you kind of catch, oh, okay, I guess they're doing the flapping thing. But like some of them are just standing up because they've been told to stand up and they're doing it in a wave. And like, someone's yeah, there's clearly an AD running in front of them telling you, stand up now, stand up now, stand up now. I'm convinced some of those shots were actually just audiences doing the wave and they cut them just at the appropriate time to make it look like, oh, maybe they were doing the wing thing. Uh, well, a lot could have been at an Angels game in 1993 because nobody would have been there. A lot of the uh, a lot of the shots in this are so tight that you probably had like one or two days where they just shot a bunch of crowd reactions and then had them on file to just slide them into whatever shots they came up with later. Well, in talking about those shots, I mean, the shots of Matthew McConaughey were so tossed in that clearly he only did one or two days on sh- on set for the entire movie <laughs> and they just slotted in those shots. But but again, so okay, that's one thing I will talk about this. This this film had a cast that has a couple of big names that were big names at the time, but then a huge number of people who weren't big yet oh, who yeah, have Adrian become Brody. huge later. Adrian Brody, uh Matthew McConaughey, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt wasn't big yet. Like he was still just a little kid actor, right? He wasn't the star, he wasn't drawing people in. No, he wasn't doing Christopher Nolan films at this age. Exactly. So like Somehow this was a king picker in that it's got some big names that came out of it. Um, not based on what they did here. Yeah, <laughs> I think anytime you have a cast this size, it's inevitably going to happen that a couple of them are going to actually manage to make it. Okay. I guess that's fair. One, yeah. Thinking about the size of the cast, one thing that is a hallmark of baseball movies, which is a genre unto itself, is finding comedy moments or just good character moments from different guys on the team, which you almost got in a certain few times. There was the the stupid pitcher. There was the fat hitter. But you're overlooking the most talented members of your cast and giving them nothing to do. In terms of baseball movies, has there ever been another baseball movie where the actual players had so little say in how the plot went? Because essentially, except for the last game, it was all on the Angels. Yeah, no, this is... Uh, there is a certain subset of Christian baseball movies, but I, <laughs> I believe that that still has more human agency involved. Yeah, I did also feel that this movie treated angels and God exactly like a Christmas movie treats Santa. Like it's it has the also, exact same thing of like, well, golly, geez, you know what? I, I think I just happen to believe. And uh, if you believe, then the angels will help you. Aw, shucks. Well, the angels are helping the team completely without their knowledge or input or reaction. So that it's, if one child believes the angels will help everyone apparently. And (laughs) also they're cheating. They are very much cheating. It is a movie about cheating. Yes. It's definitely cheating. It's definitely cheating to have extra. If if the angels are playing with you, that means there's too many players on the field. You've cheated. So this year there's a huge uh, cheating controversy in baseball. It was found that the, 2017 World Series winning Houston Astros were cheating. They had a guy in the, they were stealing the 
catcher signs for what pitch was coming up, and they were banging on a garbage can to let the hitter know what pitch was coming. It's known as the banging scheme. And this came out over the past offseason. And now that the season has finally started up again, there's already been one opposing pitcher suspended for repeatedly throwing at their heads as hard as he can. So if the other teams found out that any cheating was going on, even though they had no active role in it, they would still be getting beamed as soon as it came out that there was something going on. Baseball players are vindictive and vengeful. Okay, so this brings up one of the actual crux moments of the movie where in the middle of the movie, whoever was writing or directing it suddenly realized, hey, we need some sort of drama here instead of just angels forcing a team to win. And they were like a newscaster released an article about how uh, there was a kid who was talking to angels who seems to be influencing the team. And suddenly there was this huge press conference just thrown in there out of nowhere. Uh where for some reason someone would take this this basic rumor that had been posted and suddenly made the entire future of the team dependent on this rumor. Yeah. Also, so uh, in the U.S., especially the southern U.S., if it came out that a coach believed in angels uh, and was using that as a good luck charm in the you know very superstitious thing that is all of professional sports, that's not even a controversy. That wouldn't even be. That'd be like all right, particularly like the, on a team called the Angels. <laughs> like it would be worth it would be worth nothing of controversy no one would be like oh we better fire that coach who suddenly started winning the games that were seemed impossible to win because he has a superstition that he that is matches our faith input of a small child who claims to see angels and is making on-field decisions about who to play based upon that but all of those decisions have been shown to be right, and it is apparently the day before Game 7 of the American League Championship Series. There is no possible way that he would be in any jeopardy of losing his job. It is completely contrived in a very contrived movie. It's an unreal moment that shatters the unreality of a terrible movie. The only thing it was there for was to give the foster mother that chance for her quote-unquote fantastic speech. Gave her some lines, yeah, a bit of a monologue other than just, you know, showing up every once in a while to help the kids eat food. And um, drive places. And drive places. Yeah, it also had a moment for Tony Danza, who probably would have been second build star for this movie, to have his one of his three points of actually being in the movie, because he's set up as this redemption arc of a former star, but you never see anything going on with him. There's like one scene at the beginning when he always oh, injured. Another scene, I am still injured. Another scene, hey, you used to be somebody. And then he's pitching and he's good. But you never check in with him. You never get any sense of interiority with him. And then you find out he's dying of cancer. Yeah, he doesn't earn that moment of standing up for the coach and saying, I'll only play for that particular coach because they were enemies at the beginning. And we never saw the moment where that changed. All we saw was that suddenly whenever he coughed, there was blood splatter all over his cheeks because he was dying of cancer. Oh, I don't remember ever seeing blood splatter on his oh, cheek. I remember I, he coughed once early in the film. He yeah. coughed once. And then one after time. we found out about the cancer, he, he coughed pretty much in every shot we saw of him. Oh, okay. After that. There's got to be a cut of this film that is actually about their relationship in more detail. There must be the Snyder cut of Angels in the Outfield that gives Tony Danza his due. Oh, yeah. It's an indie film about their gay romance that went wrong. (laughs) 
What I, happens I, in Cincinnati does not always stay in Cincinnati. <laughs> a lot of this film is just about, yeah, just trying to get sports branding and then also religious branding up on screens for kids. Because, you know, it's thrown together. Because, yeah, a lot of the montage parts are just, you know, really, really bad angel CG. <laughs> And and then like it, you don't know the stakes of any particular angel thing they do. They just go and do an angel thing with some coke placement because an angel appears in coke at one point. They and oh. they do call it a coke cup, not a cola cup, not a soda cup. Not you no know, name drop for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, you get the sense that the, the angels do help hit home runs and catch balls that probably should have been caught anyways. But the. They just don't give a sense of, are they helping them win? The, how far back are they? They're in last place. There's no major league, the film style progression to the team. It's just the Andrews are helping, so they must be winning. So they must be in the championship at the end. There's no real sense that the team is coming together, that there's a wider. You see that uh, suddenly the stands are full, but the only person who's commenting on the team hates the team no matter what. So right. yeah, how does the team this is inspiring people? How do they feel any sense of accomplishment as a team if they realize angels are doing all of the work? They shouldn't. They, they shouldn't. honestly shouldn't. No. Yeah, they're not. There's also a confusing thing where it's it's hinted at but not well explored that the help is conditional because at one point the kid says like, "Hey, maybe you shouldn't swear so much." I don't think the angels like the swearing. I feel like yeah, there's at least one other thing where like they were like that comes entirely from the kid though. So we never hear the angels say, "Oh yeah, uh stop stop cheating on your wives and stop uh <laughs> chewing tobacco." Yeah. It all, all comes that, from the kid. The only thing you get from Christopher Lloyd, boss angel is that he he literally says he's capricious. He's doing this all on a whim for no apparent reason. He doesn't really think anybody deserves this. He's just doing it and because at right now they feel like doing it and they might not do it in the future. Like we can, we can withdraw this help at any time. You have not earned this. So you cannot lose this. This is a Cal, very Calvinist uh, deterministic (laughs) kind of help because there's no sense of good works or, you know, who the, you have the damned and the elect and apparently. uh, Yeah. I was thinking about St. Augustine on this too. Yeah. (laughs) And the angels are doing this for the kids. So if someone on the team, uh, say gets arrested for hiring a prostitute they're not going to screw over those kids as angels just because of a guy having sex with a prostitute yeah i think i think what kyle is saying that it's predetermined that god chose at birth that that kid was going to have good things and so the angels would help him get what he wants and that, other kids be damned arbitrarily just because god has random choice of who he likes and that he is does. why i think this kid is the second coming of christ okay uh, I would like some further evidence of that other than what we've presented so far. He, as angels at his beck and call. There is no reason for this level of divine intervention for a kid unless there is something that God really needs out of this kid, something that the kid is going to grow up to be. Maybe the kid is going to be John Connor. We don't know. Like, save the world <laughs> from from technology or something. But from this Satan's kid is doing robots. something big. Yeah. This isn't just a random kid. This is a kid who God needs on the on the chessboard for some reason. I mean, I'd rather watch that movie of when he grows up and realizes that when angels helped him win a baseball game as a kid, it was preparation for the, the coming robot wars. Yeah, I suspect there was a sequel to this, but I doubt it was that. <laughs> and I think that was a mistake on Disney's part. No, there are two sequels. Uh, one what, is wait, 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 what? what, what? They're made for TV. I looked it up. Uh, and this is a TV. remake. So there's a lot of movies in this series. Yeah. Oh boy. So the second one is a football one because 
that's sort of the air bud where you do a sports movie with a ridiculous premise, so you just do another sport with a ridiculous premise after it. And then there's another sequel that is baseball-centric, which features Patrick Warburton as a pitcher who just has an angel help him. Do they still have Christopher Lloyd or no? To give no, up on him. no, no. <laughs> Did this movie also in some way lead to one of the Hot Shots movies or something like that, where they spoof sports movies? I don't recall this being spoofed in that sense. don't really have the uh, scary movie or date movie kind of thing happening yet. It was part of the golden age of children's baseball movies, though. Oh, God. It includes The Sandlot, which holds up. Watched it a few weeks ago, and it's still great. Uh, Little Big League uh, and... Rookie of the Year. There was a lot of really good baseball movies coming out. And this just came out uh, in the same wave as Bull Durham, which is a fantastic film. So it was a league of their own. And another supernatural baseball movie, uh, Field of Dreams, which will make any man of a certain age cry about his relationship with his dad. Well, not so, anyone. Well, of a certain age <laughs> with a certain background. If you grew up playing baseball and you're have a weird relationship with your father. You're going to cry at that. Kyle, since you know about this era of baseball, can you tell me if there were quite so many very portly gentlemen who were in no shape at all playing on sports teams in this era? Yes, that is. So there still are big guys who play baseball because the requirements of physical requirements of it aren't the same as other sports. Uh, You don't need extended Uh, bouts of running. So at this time, there was a guy named John Cruck who played for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, People who remember the 93 World Series with Blue Jays would remember him. He was big. He had a giant beard, long, greasy hair. He was, he would look overweight. So you, these guys have bulk muscle and a little bit of a gut as well, but they would have incredibly powerful legs, which just in the baggy baseball pants would look like he's just a double art, but he is, powerful i guess yeah they only have to run for short bursts but they still do need to run well and this guy clearly in all of the shots of him running they make it into a comical effect so uh he wasn't much of a runner no he got pushed by angels at one point i have one other aesthetic question about this movie which is the most important movie i have about the entire thing the most important question i have about the entire movie i mean uh at what point does a man with long flowing locks decide that he has gone too bald and must cut it off. That's the Hulk Hogan problem. Are we referring to the media guy or? Yeah, we're talking about the the publicity dude who was, his hairline was halfway back his head and he still had these long flowing locks. That was, he was all over. I don't think he was supposed to be a uh, a likable character. He was somehow shown as a villain, even though he did nothing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, let's 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 have the kids abuse this guy because he's got a weird looking hairline. Even though you know he's nice to them, he seems to want the team the best best for the team's media. Just trying to work a hard job with an abusive coach. Yeah, I feel for him. One of the small character elements that they put in. They also did a newscaster, uh, another newscaster who sat next to the main newscaster, newscaster who kept trying to get on the air and just couldn't do it until the very end. So there were a lot of these little. Uh, grace developments that they, they put for sub-characters, even though they didn't really give any character development to the main characters. No. They they just assumed that they deserved it, and then they didn't get any better. And then these other characters got... They, they went somewhere in their arc, 
but they were given so little time that you didn't really feel any of it. Yeah, the color commentator from the radio duo is, I think, a reference to Bob Euchre and his sidekick in the Major League films, where the sidekick there, the color commentator, is supposed to just give stats and analysis. But in that film, the guy would never say more than one word, and it's just a joke that he was completely useless at his job and couldn't do it. But this... In this film, they want us to, one of the main villains, I guess the main villain of the film is this uh, radio play-by-play. And so he's constantly just turning off his microphone. So we will like the other guy, dislike this guy for no other reason than he's actually good at his job. He actually does deserve to be the one talking. He probably could do a one-man booth and it would be fine. I kept expecting that plot line to sort of marry together with the main plot lines in some way, but... Yeah, it was like they were grasping a bunch of plot lines in their fist and they didn't care if anything came together or paid off. I'm also going to I'm going to take a quick moment to talk about one of the most forced moments uh, that I think is mandatory for any sort of religiously themed film, but just does not work here. Where in the middle, Rogers has a moment of questioning his faith and doesn't know if angels exist. Do you guys remember that little moment where he's like, I'm not sure if I do believe anymore. Yeah, Yeah, which is hard to do when you flat out see them and saw them actually do things. And these are even angels who were capricious enough that they kept aiming balls at people's nuts and knocking people's teeth out. Yeah. So it's like, they definitely exist. Like, if you're going to have a questioning of faith, you need to have a questioning of whether God deserves your belief and deserves your, uh, you know, praise. Sure. But that's not what he's doing. He's like, I don't know if they exist. He's like, they clearly exist. They just might be evil and arbitrary. (laughs) Yeah. You might ask yourself, is there a God? Because I don't know if I'm seeing evidence of God or the devil here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the devil just uh, knows how to have the wings be feathery sometime on his demons. Yeah. It's not even as though the angels have been subtle in any way. They... There would be no way that there wouldn't be questions about what's going on. The entire nation that is watching these games, these are all on TV. These are all on camera. They all—they have all the video of the laws of physics being broken continuously. <laughs> Sheer that Looney one, Tunes. Yeah, yeah. The one sequence where Adrian Brody hits an inside-the-park home run, even though it's just a cavalcade of errors because the ball keeps changing direction without outside interference. There would be questions immediately from that, from that first moment where the angels lift up Matthew McConaughey and he has an unreal amount of hang time and verticality in his jump. That would cause an investigation. The people would (laughs) definitely be wondering about this. It's pre-internet, so it's not going to be so obsessive, but this would definitely be newsworthy that something is weird and inexplicable and not on the level in Angels baseball. Yeah, the foul yeah. ball line moves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that would definitely be noticed if on a home run, the foul pole suddenly shifts 25 degrees to allow the home run. That would obviously be the Angels cheating. That would definitely cause an investigation. There would be repercussions just for that oh boy yeah all this if a single physicist watched it he'd be like no none of this is right you gotta we, we gotta shut this down shut it all down this is this whole film is just predicated on everybody in the movie being incredibly stupid and everybody watching <laughs> the movie 
being incredibly stupid. We're just letting things slide, being like, we don't expect much from this film, so whatever. Like, I, th- I think I think everyone involved in this film sort of gave up on it making any sense or having any sort of thematic consistency of any sort. <laughs> Again, I think this is a very much a, a film that was made with commercial intent of let's make a film that will make people see more baseball logos and maybe some kids will like baseball more because of it because yeah. they saw a baseball movie. Yeah, the Disney owned, had, I think, a controlling interest in the Angels at this time. They owned the team. So it was very much in order to get people to buy Angels merchandise is the only reason this film is made. The one thing that I'm happy about is that the kid's father didn't at some point see, hey, the Angels are doing well. Maybe I should go back and get my kid back. <laughs> Yeah, I could I could see other movies doing that where they're like, no, no, your real parents matter enough that even though you're clearly a bad father, we should stick this kid with his real father. And I'm happy they didn't at least, you know, continue that myth of like someone's real parents are always better for them than someone who actually cares about them and isn't a complete and utter fuck up. Yeah, I like that the movie has a family court designed to enhance the trauma of the child. <laughs> Yeah, make because the kids the kid wait. Was, yeah, the kid was forced to show up in court to see his father give up rights to him. Yeah, and yeah, he still well, has what? things to do. He still has to stay in the courtroom after his father just walks away. Yeah, why so did the just, kid have to be there for that at all? And what Actually, sort of torture did they have to do off screen to make Joseph Gordon-Levitt cry? Were they like stabbing him with knives? How do you make a child cry on cue? Oh, onion, onion, onion juice. Onion, squirt him. Just spray him right in the... Just pepper sprayed him. You just chop up some onions and you, you put it in a spray bottle and you just spray them on the face and wipe it down once and they cry. Nice way to treat kids. Yeah, that's the film industry. With that happy moment, let's move on to our sponsor from Squarespace. <laughs> no, no sponsors. We are, I think we're, we're, uh, I think we're done with this movie though. I think we can all shelve it and put it deep, deep down inside of us and, and, and maybe never think of it again. I think we'd all be happier that way. Is, is Am I correct on that? I'd be happy to leave this behind, but if your audience forces us to watch the sequels, um, I will not be a happy camper. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't do that to you. Even if my audience is cruel, I wouldn't do that to you. So I think we're going to end this episode here. Thank you, uh, Scott. Thank you, Kyle, both for joining me. And we'll have another movie review sometime soon. Bye. Well, that's what we came up with, but we want to hear from you. Tell us your thoughts. You can find us on Twitter at BreakAWishPod, email BreakAWishPod at gmail.com, join the BreakAWish discussion group on Facebook, and you can support the show by writing a review, telling a friend, or buying a t-shirt on TeePublic. All this information at BreakAWish.ca. For more Scott Thrower, you can check out Fairy Tales for Unwanted Children, a podcast of original dark fairy tales or any of his books, including the Arcane History series. Find both at scottthrower.ca. For more Kyle Scott, you can check out our old D&D podcast, Caverns and Comedians. It's very silly, with all the rolling edited out, so you get right into the action. Scott and I are in it, too. This is a Kicks and Giggles Entertainment production, hosted by Maddox Campbell, themed by Matthew Reed, cover art by Justin Langford, and a proud member of the Sonar Podcast Network. More podcasts at thesonarnetwork.com. So, what would you wish for?
This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar! Once upon a time, there were dragons, fairies, wishes, and farmers. These aren't your happy endings for your overachievers, or your precious babes with bright futures. This is Fairy Tales for Unwanted Children, an excellent, unsettling podcast, says Tampa Dad 66 as calming as it is eerie, Becca James of avclub.com. Wow, that was pretty good. You, about 15 minutes from now. Fairy Tales for Unwanted Children. Unwantedchildren.ca Caverns and Comedians is a real play Dungeons and Dragons podcast featuring Toronto comedians playing Dungeons and Dragons. We roll the dice, but we edit that out to just give you the nice role-playing experience. Featuring acts of heroism. I've got his wallet. I mean, I, I didn't mean to kill him, but he was bad, right? We're pretty sure. Do I have to heal you? I don't want to. Can't you just die? Ooh, a dungeon master! My safe word is potato! Stumbling towards goodness one roll at a time. Caverns and Comedians can be found on iTunes, Google Play, or kicksandgigglesentertainment.com. <laughs>